Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? Conrad, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I've had a, my football uh, weekend was, uh, uh, in the toilet. My Sooners got embarrassed, uh, but never give up the ship. And, uh, you know, I'm become a pretty good Jags fan. Oh, it's over here. Uh, and they're a lot better than they were ever since I lived here. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm happy for the con family and I'm happy for the city of Jacksonville cause it has, it's has invigorated this community. And I, I think that's great. You see more Jaguar merch and all that stuff. It's just, it's just kind of cool to be a part of right now because nobody really knows where we're going to go or two right. and two, but I think we're going to be okay. We've got a good coach, yeah, fundamentally sound, good coach. Well, and we're all about good coaches here on the program and, uh, you were one of the best coaches and we're going to talk about one of the guys that you had a hand in his career that still has a legacy. We're talking about to this day. Uh, and it's right around his birthday. Of course, as everybody's listening to this, it's Thursday, October 6th. Well, this coming Sunday would have been Eddie Guerrero's birthday, October 9th, 1967, his father and trainer, Gory Guerrero were first generation wrestlers and later a promoter and his other sons, Mondo, Hector and Chavo were all of course in the wrestling business too. I think Gory passed away in 1990. Did you ever get a chance to meet Gory? Oh yeah, I did. I did. Uh, yeah, he was a, he was a really sweet guy, a uh, smart guy and very, very talented, you know, and that the Gory special and things like that, that he invented are still being utilized today. I think it's pretty, uh, pretty good accomplishment and a, and a tribute, but his sons followed him into the family business. Uh, and they all attained various levels of success, but nobody a- approached the success that Eddie had. And the reason for that Conrad is as much as I respect the entire family, including Mr. Guerrero, who is simply a sensational talent, uh, Eddie was in a league of his own. And you actually got to work with, uh, Chavo and Hector in yep. mid South, right? What was that like? Good. You know, they're, they're, they grew up in the business. They knew all the. Do, the do's and the don'ts don't come late. Don't come screwed up, uh, work hard. If you're going to put somebody over, do it the right way, make them look good before they, they beat you type deal. Uh, but they were fine. Chavo was, uh, way ahead of Chavo senior. Uh, what'd they call him one time? A Chavo classic. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I thought that was kind of cool. Hilarious. Uh, he, he was, uh, he was on the original. I think it was the UWF open show open mm-hmm. doing a moonsault. Now this is many, many moons ago before, uh, moonsaults had 18 different names. Right. Uh, and so that was in our show open and it was breathtaking. 
And I think it was him. I don't know how I remember this bullshit. I think he did the, uh, the moonsault Conrad on a, on a, a, a preliminary heel named Gustavo Mendoza. Oh, wow. I think Gustavo was a Puerto Rican gentleman. Uh, good solid hand, by the way, probably better than a lot of hands that are working today, fundamentally speaking. So, uh, anyway, uh, it was fun to, uh, to, to work with those guys. You, you didn't have to tell them anything. They knew when to be at work. They knew how to, to, to process their assignment and, uh, and they got a lot of work for cowboy and I enjoyed working with them. They're just, they were very innovative. And I think that's what we saw from Eddie. Eddie took innovation to another level. And, uh, uh I don't know. It was just a, uh, joy to work with the Guerreros, all of them, including, I get to see Vicky every week. She's remarried. I, I'm happy for her. I'm just, she's just a sweetheart of a lady. Yes. But, but all of them are just super people, you know? Uh, so. Good, good experiences, good vibes in the Guerreros. So Eddie debuts as an in-ring performer in 1986, uh, working for CMLL as uh, Mascara Magica. When did you, when did you first see Eddie come onto your radar? I know he, he pops up on WCW TV once in 1989. I think it's May of 1989 against Terry Falk. Would that have been the first time you would have seen him or would somehow yeah. Eddie have been on your radar before? No, I didn't see cowboy was not a major fan of, uh, CMML, CMLL and, and other, uh, Hispanic organizations. <laughs> we didn't have access like today where you can, you know, go online and watch all the stuff you want to watch. We didn't have that opportunity back in those days. And, uh, you know, then there's a situation where you got, if a guy's, a, uh, doesn't have a green card, you got to work on that and some offices didn't want to do that because of the cost involved, but I think Terry Funk probably had as much to do with, uh, getting Eddie recognized on that level as uh, anybody ever could, because Terry had so much clout, so much credibility. And uh, so when Terry Funk spoke, we listened, everybody listened. He's only 21 years old here when he has this match with, uh, with Terry Funk in May of 89. He does work a dark match for Russell war in 91 teaming with Ultraman, And, uh, I got to wonder, do you remember there being any push way back in the early nineties here? 89, 90, 91. We know that Eric is going to really lean into Lucha Libre for nitro, but did it feel like WCW was just, wasn't quite ready for that in 89, 90, 91. Yeah, it, it may be. So I think a lack of product knowledge and the, the lack of overall where with it all, uh, it, it just wasn't a priority. You know, we talked about uh, WCW various times and, uh, until Eric came along, it was a train wreck, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Nonetheless, uh, it wasn't on the radar. Like it became on the radar, which I applaud. Uh, let's talk a little bit about AAA, because Vicky and Eddie, uh, marry in 1990. Eddie's going to float back and forth between AAA and new Japan, essentially until 1995 when he's over in new Japan, he's working as black tiger. Right. We've spent a lot of time talking about new Japan and obviously your great history with new Japan, really helping bring them to an American audience. Gosh, almost a decade ago, but AAA or tripla as it's called below the border. We don't really talk about a lot on this program. What was your impression of the AAA presentation and Mr. Pena and the whole promotion. 
Well, it was impressive. I mean, they built a hell of an organization. And uh, uh, I don't, I think just a prejudice of the uh, good old boy uh, aura of pro wrestling, where all the promoters are basically, you know, white ex wrestlers. Uh, it, it, they built a, well, we didn't give them the respect that they deserved, I don't think, in general. Uh, but when you saw those talents do the things that they did, and you knew that your audience would be mesmerized because it would be totally, it would be new, totally new. And as I said on the show many times, wrestling fans love surprises and they love new. Yeah. And if you could, if, if, if your, if your booking idea falls under one of those umbrellas, new, uh, and surprising, uh, you, you're on to something. So it was, uh, that's how I looked at that situation. Eddie was just, but you, you could, Eddie's work in Japan. Uh, as uh, Black Tiger was amazing. And again, you get guys that go to Japan and they come back and they call, the Cowboys always looking for talent back in those days. And then WCW is always looking for talent uh, in that era. But the, the there was no political issues in Cowboys area to bring a Eddie, a Eddie Guerrero in. But I think that... Uh, in other territories and, and maybe, uh, WCW might be following that category. I don't know. They changed smartly. Eric made that change. Uh, but you, you know, you just got to go where the talent is. You got to recruit the best players and yes. get them on your field and get them in your game. And Eddie Guerrero was always, no matter what group he was in Conrad, no matter what locker room he was hanging his clothes in that day, it's hard to say he wasn't the best performer in the, in the locker room period. It well, covers a lot of ground. It does. Do you think that was, a in, in this early nineties era, was there a stigma against hiring wrestlers coming from Mexico? Was it just viewed as a totally different thing? Was it a size thing? Not understanding the culture, the mask. What do you think it was? Uh, uh, several of those, uh, boxes you just checked size was an issue for some, uh, the, again, the, the green card component, the green card, meaning you, you're you're able to live in America, even though you're not a citizen. Uh, that was another issue. Promoters oftentimes Conrad took the path of least resistance and, and to get somebody that's all you know, I I've heard cowboy have this conversation a million times. Do you have your green card? See, come on, <laughs> you're hired, but th that's an issue that a lot of fans don't think about, uh, the political world. And of course now it's, uh, you know, it's it's still a big issue, uh, getting guys green cards and, and, and papers to stay in the country and so forth. But I think size had a lot to do with it. The language issue. If a guy couldn't speak understandable English to bring you into a territory where promos are essential, uh, was a little daunting because you got to talk, right? You know, and that was the thing about Eddie. Eddie was a great talker. He, he had a, he had an accent. So what? I, I've been told I have an accent. I yeah. don't believe that. But I think I sound like I'm from wall street. I love you. Uh, yeah. JR wall street. That's my new gimmick. Uh, but I, I, I think there was a little bit of a stigma and for the reasons I mentioned, and a lot of them just made common sense until, you know, you found a guy like Eddie who could speak English and who did have a green card and who was the most, one of the, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a more talented in ring performer than Eddie Guerrero. Uh, he could. He had great matches. Conrad with so many different 
guys in WWE when I was there, when I brought him in there, uh, he was just, uh, he had been waiting for this opportunity. He was hungry. He was angry. He's pissed off all the time because he thought he had to wait too long to get his break. And I can't disagree with that. Well, that's one of the things I want to ask about, because I know Chris Benoit got a tryout with the WWF in June of 95. Would that have been something that's on your radar because of Stu Hart? Or I'm just wondering, was Eddie even in the, in the radar on the radar in 95? Well, Benoit was a different, you're talking about an apple and an orange here. Benoit had those Calgary connections, right? And the Bret Hart connections, uh, and uh, Brett's opinion, uh, carried a lot of weight as it should. Sure. Still should. It still should. In my opinion, I think he gets Bret Hart could be a, a tremendous asset to any pro wrestling company, uh, in the world. Cause he's just, he's got it. He's a co- he's a natural born leader and a coach and he understands fundamentals. Yes. Uh, uh, so, and I, I love Brett. He's just a hell of a guy. He was always good to me when he didn't have to be. And when a lot of others weren't, cause I was the new guy for WCW that did. Uh, and I had to get over a lot of that stuff, but, uh, and I did, and we did, but he was a, he was a challenging individual Conrad to, uh, damage because he had those demons that he had to control and trying to control his own passion for waiting as long as he did for his major break on global television. Uh, you know, he, he just, he was a handful. And then again, uh, the pills and things like that, that we had to delve into, you talk about your, your Conrad quote, deep dive. Yeah. He had to, I, I, I dove deep many times. I remember sitting in a locker room with Eddie reading his Bible with him. Mm. I'm not the most religious guy in the world. I'm not bragging about that. Uh, I, I believe in a higher power and I'm not going to go into all that stuff, but bottom line is, uh, you know, to me, that's where. I could help him find some solace. I don't know how many talent relations, uh, people went to a locker room and had somebody stand outside the door. So nobody would interrupt you and listen to Eddie read his Bible or to talk to him about it. And at, when we would finish our little sessions, uh, and him sharing and a lot of this turned into how you feeling today or why are you, why are you down to dumps? Things are going great. Your match last week on raw was unbelievable. Uh, it wasn't enough, but again, I think the pills had a little bit to do with that mood altering stuff. Cause I found Eddie to be a, a, a genuine joy to be around except when he was Andre. That's what, uh, I can't remember who told me this one. It might've been Benoit It's either Benoit or Guerrero or excuse me, Benoit or uh, Malenko, Dean Malenko. He said, you know, Eddie could be challenging to manage Jr. And I said, I have, I've grown to know that. And, uh, and, but when he's, when he's Andre, you, you gotta be careful because that's when he blows up, he walks out, you know, he leaves from through that was, I guess either different pill or drinking. I'm not sure. So, uh, you didn't want to de- dealing with Andre Eddie was a daunting task. Well, he makes a big splash during a very brief run in 95 and ECW. He winds up signing with WCW around the same time nitro starting up along with, uh, Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko. It's interesting to me that all three of these guys are in ECW, AKA low key WWE developmental, but they wind up going 
to the WCW side of things. Do you think Vince just his viewpoint of what a wrestler was or what he was looking for? They didn't check certain boxes or how do these guys wind up, you know, sort of slipping right through your fingers on the WWE side of things from ECW over to WCW. Five, eight, five, nine, five, ten. uh, lack of knowledge, product knowledge. You know, Vince didn't watch wrestling. I see. He watched very little. I would take tapes. I want to hire this guy, or I'm going to hire this guy, or I hired this guy. Once my track record and talent relations started getting established and we had a little success on some of these guys we were signing, uh, he, uh, you know, he, he trusted me. Right. And, and when I said, and I, when I brought, uh, uh, you know, Malenko and Benoit and, and, uh, uh, Eddie, Eddie was a separate deal, uh, Saturn. I brought them all to Vince's house and, uh, they look like little kids going to the, to the counselor's office. They're you know small. And that's what the first thing Vince said when they left, I like these guys. They got a, they seem to have a lot of passion, but God damn JR, they're small. Mm. And I said, but they wrestle bigger than they are. And Vince, as long as you've been in the business, you know, exactly what I mean by that. Buddy Rogers was five ten. He wasn't a bad hand. Right. I'm told, I'm told. Yeah. He did. Okay. Uh, he did. Okay. Uh, you know, Dick, the bruiser was five, eight did all right. Yeah. Hung around a while, made a couple of bucks. So I said, there's exception to all these rules. Yeah. And that's why I think that they'll, they're a fresh face. They'll, they're going to push that. They believe that their, their opportunities are, are now, and that they have waited long enough to come to WWE, which is the Mecca at that time for sure. So, uh, I want to hire him. And, uh, he said, and he hired, we, we hired him. So, but Eddie came in on a separate deal. We always knew that when I, the three guys I just mentioned, Ben wall was the number one draft pick, so to speak. And, no, I, and on, I, I thought they all came together and then Eddie left and you brought him back after the drug stuff. That might've been, yeah. it might've been Conrad, yeah. you know, better than I, Okay. uh, uh, that could be a fact. Uh, we locked all four of them, obviously. Sure. Eddie was a little harder to get along with. Right. He, he drove a little harder bargain. He wanted more money. And, uh, and so we, we got him his money and, and we got him hired. So, but I think you're right about that. My, it's been a long time. Yeah, it has. And I'm an old fart. Well, it, the jump <laughs> happens January of 2000. Um, was Jericho making the jump in 99? Did that sort of lay the groundwork here for these guys to make the jump? Do you think? Well, it didn't hurt anything because yeah. Jericho also is not six feet tall. Right. So I, and that's, I, and I give the same line on Vince regarding Jericho that I did on these other guys. He wrestles bigger than he is. Right. And so the first rattle out of the box for Jericho, as we all can remember is reveal in Chicago, uh, on raw interrupting. The great one. Right. I think that's all it that needs to be said that we had full confidence that Jericho was going to be a player and more importantly, perhaps, uh, Dwayne Johnson believed that too, because there's no way in hell we would have, uh, a brand new guy interrupt the rock. if we didn't believe it was the right thing to do right. and, and, and rock agreeing with that scenario and buying in and contributing to that creative. Talk to me a little bit about Eddie coming in here because. He did have a pretty 
rough car crash. I think it was new year's Eve, 1998. He winds up being thrown from the car. A lot of people assume, Hey, that might be it for him. He battles his way back, comes back looking like a million bucks, but you knew this was a guy who had at times flow too close to the sun or whatever sort of expression you want to make. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Did, did, was any of that addressed in the first initial meeting? I know that he's going to have a hiccup that we're going to get to in a minute where he has to leave and come back. But when he comes over with the group, is any of that stuff ever discussed as far as you recall? Well, just in general, I would never pick out talk to Eddie about his personal issues in front of those other three guys. Right. Or vice versa, no, or, or any combination thereof. They knew, all of them knew, and it, all the talents I hired knew that we have a drug policy. Right. So here's what it is no secret. Uh, and so, you know, adhere to the policy and everything's cool. And that's kind of as far as we went with that deal. But I think my problem was at that time, I didn't have a full disclosure of just how bad Eddie's drug problem was. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't heard a lot of stories in the road that way he went crazy here. He tore up a Marriott room, blah, 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 whatever. I, I hadn't, I didn't have that info or if it even existed. So, uh, but he was a, he was a, it was easy to see who the cream of the crop was in that group of four guys. And that includes Benoit who I have great respect for as a wrestler. Uh, Eddie was in a different level, totally different level. The stuff he did with China, Conrad, and we'll get to that stuff, but he, he just could adjust on his feet. It could be funny. It could be dramatic. It could be mean. Uh, it could be a great, he's so great. He's a great baby face. So much charisma. So Eddie was so special in that regard. I'm glad we're doing this show about him today. There's really not been a time in the business. I can think of where four major players jump ship all at the same time. Of course. Here in January of 2000, I guess the most recent thing we could think of in this era are Hall and Nash leaving the WWF and going over to the WCW side of things. From your perspective, did this feel as big to have these four talents come in your direction a few years later? <coughs> well, <coughs> pardon me. Sound like you, Connie. Sorry about that. That, that bad cold. Oh, you gave me a cold on the radio. Uh, what was the question again? Well, just talking about the, the impact of these four coming in from WCW, oh. how would you compare that to Hall and Nash going the other direction? Well, I tell you, it was, it, it, it's, it's cornbread and dressing. They go yeah. together. Yeah. They're both, they're both successful entities, but they were different. Yeah. You got the big giant guys, uh, you know, Hall and Nash are huge, super heavyweight type guys, six, eight, six, seven for Scott, maybe, uh, Kevin's right at seven feet They're different. If you're recruiting them, you're not recruiting them to play the same position that you would those four radical guys. Just not They're right. different wrestlers. They're going to play different positions. They're going to fulfill a different spot on the card, all in hopes that they will get to the top of the card. And, uh, we had a good idea who we thought would get to the top of the card at some point in time and, uh, and, 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 and happy to have them on the team and, and roll with them. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Well, of course, they make a big splash here, January 31st, 2000. They're the focal points of the show. They're going to align with Cactus Jack, so they're going to be presented as baby faces. And the next night, they do a SmackDown taping. And unfortunately, this is where we would see Andy Guerrero uh, suffer an elbow injury doing the frog yeah. splash. Boy, you want to that talk about. Broke my heart. Oof, bad luck. Broke my heart. Yeah. Man. It just, I was doing the commentary on that match, Lawler and I, I believe. And, uh, I knew when he hit, it was bad news. Now, how bad I'm not a doctor. I can't do a diagnosis. Uh, if I could, I diagnose how long your quarterback's going to be out in mine too. Uh, <laughs> yours is probably got a better shot of getting back in than my guy, because they're going to be real careful on, per, on concussion protocol. And I, and they should, I get it. I don't sound like a football goof, which I am, but let's keep that to ourselves here, folks. Uh, no, I, I felt so bad because I knew, and this is selfish in a way. I knew that I had to face him, Conrad, when the show was over. Yeah. I had to go to his side and help and prop him up for lack of a better term and, uh, assure him that his job was safe. And I had, it's funny. I had the same conversation with several guys, including Benoit when he hurt his neck and had surgery. Yeah. So he was out. I made the call in the surgery to get him a surgery to, so that he would be fixed permanently and not a temporary solution. And I, and to do that, he had to be out almost a year and, and to, and to be able to pull that off, he had to be paid. Right. So at least we had that going for us in that regard, taking care of the talent, you know, a very, uh, well, I hate to hear you think about that. Anything. He just was so distraught. He just thought he'd worked all his life to get to the WWE, WWF, and now I'm done. So, cause he didn't know how bad his arm was hurt. He just knew it was hurting real bad. So, uh, that was a huge setback for him mentally as, as much as fit, tough. He's, he was tough as anybody we had and would fight anybody we had. Eddie, Andre, Eddie was tough now and he was fun to be around sometimes. If you let's see, he was, you're on the other end of the argument. Uh, but I, I, that elbow thing was just, it's like, God dang, we all saw what we had his his electricity, his explosion, his charisma, his athleticism, all those things were right before our very eyes. And he was new. He was relatively young. So, and then this happened, it was just heartbreaking. Well, as the story goes, of course, everyone remembers that the radicals wind up losing their first match here in the company. But Meltzer would say, even back then, they somehow wound up doing a tag match anyway. And Guerrero in delivering a frog splash appeared to have seriously injured his elbow. And it took him 15 minutes to get him out of the ring, causing him to lose a match. He was scheduled to win making the newcomers. Oh, and two against the WWF stars. They did some mic work to try and redo the stipulations for triple H and Benoit in a non-title match, which went as originally planned with a ref bump. And Triple H tapping out to the crossface, but no referee there to see it. And then all coming back to uh get the win using a pedigree. 
second night by all lose all three losing the WWF talent. It buried the group that went in with size and interview strikes against them. Boy, and I guess that probably is going through your mind at least when Vince was at least hesitant saying, man, they're small. And then they, one of their top guys gets hurt first night in, even though you're trying to, you know, encourage Eddie, Hey man, hang in there. It's going to be all right. At least in your mind's eye, you got to be thinking, boy, Vince is going to think I told you so on some of this. Is he not? Oh yeah. I figured it was going to fly back in my face. Yeah. I told you they were too small. I told you they couldn't hang. They couldn't, uh, uh, persevere and, and withstand the physicality of this brand and bigger guys night after night. We don't have a, we don't have a roster of cruiserweights, nor are we going to. So, uh, yeah, I thought as they said, one time on, I love Lucy, you got some explaining to do. Yeah. Cause I didn't, I paid those guys. Well, they got good money coming in there and cause I didn't want the money to be an issue with them, their, with them, uh, uh, transferring from one brand to the other. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want that to be an issue whatsoever. So they all got paid decently and, and, and with the pay system there, then, uh, they had a chance to make a whole lot more money than that. I, I remember hiring Chris Jericho and I told him that I can't pay you what you're getting in WCW, but I could make you a whole lot more money. And he looked at me incredulously. Yeah. I'm not going to, I said, I'll, I'm going to give you a guarantee. So you know, what's the worst you're going to do. But the bottom line is, is that when you're, if you're healthy and you're booked in the house shows, uh, and I'll use you in the house shows, don't give me, don't mistake that, uh, you'll make a whole lot more money than that. And, uh, that was my pitch to Jericho and uh, in a, in a partially at least he just wanted to get out and, and he, and he made the right move, obviously, because it just really launched, not that he didn't have a launch pad prior to that Conrad, but it was, that was the. Hey, walking out in Chicago and interrupting the rock, boom, we're off to the races. It's a big deal. So, uh, and that was the same thing. We thought we'd find the same success with, uh, with Eddie and, and, and some of these other cats, but uh, it was a sad day, man. Sad day. I, I was so brokenhearted about that deal and not just because I figured I'd get my ass chewed out. I got my ass chewed out every day. Right. Come on. It, I'm here. Didn't eat me. He didn't eat. He didn't eat me. He didn't beat me up. He just chewed my ass out. And I can handle that because I grew up with a father exactly the same way. You miss that tackle. How can we made a C in algebra? Uh, you know, I, I love the guy and I still do. I miss him. But boy, he was tough. He watched too fucking many John Wayne movies, put a stick in his mouth, crump, crunch it down and <laughs> take that bullet out with a knife. Tough. So. Let's talk a little bit about what's next for Andy. The radicals are going to turn heel on the very next raw. Uh, it's coming down from Dallas. They're going to attack cactus Jack and then, uh, have a big 10 man tag main event. Eddie's out. Of course he's injured. So he's going to assume the managerial role for a few weeks. Hey, so you're at least trying with Eddie. Hey, if you can't wrestle, we'll try to still keep you on TV keep your brand out there. Right. Yep. That's the idea. Figure out another way. We've talked about this with the Austin case, Stone Cold Austin. Yep. yep. Uh, they just they just wanted to say. I saw a tweet I think yesterday or today about China, or not? Excuse me, uh, Sable. And and I and in there quoted me on one of our shows saying, you know, the audience was content. As a matter of fact, some giddy and some happy that they got to see her on television. Well, she's always presented in a in a very uh, sexy. Uh, provocative, uh, way. 
and for the for our primary audience of males 18 to 34 18 to 49 and all that stuff uh they were cool seeing that attire and seeing this woman uh who was nobody had ever seen anything quite like her in pro wrestling at to that point and now you got a situation in the business where everybody looks much very similar yeah i think so and, and the great thing I, I like about tony khan's uh booking is that he, different body types get different opportunities yes they're all fair they're all there but you know uh but but he's open-minded to that and uh i, I think we don't have like divas we have lady wrestlers right and i love that and they're they have varying body types back in the day with sable the wrestling business when they talk about women they were used to seeing talking about moolah and may young and all these uh these legends and and uh certainly nobody ever seen anything quite like sable no i hadn't but i've been with this a long time so uh but that same same basic thing we just try you try to figure out ways to get somebody on television so that their their image isn't forgotten well the next day on raw we're gonna see uh or i guess we should mention before we talk about the the night after wrestlemania Eddie's back in time for WrestleMania at, at uh, Anaheim, easy for me to say. And the Radicals lose to China and Too Cool at the show. And China gets the pin on Eddie. And we know they're going to be a big part of a story moving forward. But in this era, a guy who has, to your point, a chip on his shoulder, worked his whole life. He's finally at the big dance. This is the big opportunity. Yeah. First night in, injures himself. Now he's on the shelf. We're still going to try to keep him on TV, but the result is he's going to be more of a managerial, uh, character for a bit. Now he's finally at his first WrestleMania. Congratulations, but we're going to have you take the pin to this lady. How did that go over with Eddie? I don't think it was a big issue as much as people thought it would, would be, or it could have been, or it might be, and it's been, a, it's been a company secret all these years. I don't. I don't recall that being a big issue. Now, obviously I'm not trying to sell you a bill of goods, Conrad, that he was okay. Losing right. Instead of winning his first match at WrestleMania. I'm not trying to sell that stuff. Uh, that, that ain't going to work. Uh, it, it's just not, you know, uh, but point being is he, he rose to the occasion. He was a team player. I had the same conversation with him once. I can't remember which pay-per-view it was. Some of our fans will remember where he was the opening match on a pay-per-view and man, he was pissed off all day. Yeah. And it was one of those deals where I thought we may have to have another Bible study. <laughs> we need to, we need to pray over this, my boy. Uh, I said here, you don't understand the psychology of what we're doing here. And maybe you don't know as much about this business as you think you do right now, because you're thinking more egocentrically. And, and that is you should do a match. You should have your match. Win, lose, or draw, walk back through the curtain in the gorilla position and where Vince is sitting and turn and look at all of them sitting there and say, follow that. That's what you want to do. Yeah. Walk out of that son of a bitch like you're six feet, five inches tall and that look, or even you might even say it, follow that, fellas. Yeah. Follow that. Yeah. And he understood that. He took that as a challenge and it worked. Hey, whatever you got to do to get in the end zone, right? Well, the very next day, uh, after WrestleMania, we're going to see Eddie win the European title from Chris Jericho. Thanks to China's help. 
And this is where we really start the whole Latino heat mama see storyline between the two. And man, I don't think anybody expected that to be as awesome as it was. I think it was a pleasant surprise, quite honestly. Uh, and a lot of talents, a lot of male talents specifically would not have gone for it because they, it was so much of the unknown. And they also knew that they're going to have to be competing for the spotlight with a female. Sounds like it's antiquated and it is, uh, it's not, it's not that way now, thank goodness. But uh, then it was a little challenging, but Eddie could handle it. He had so much confidence in his own ability and it also allowed him to demonstrate a side of him from an entertainment standpoint and a verbal standpoint that he had not gotten that many opportunities for, you know, when you're a masked man in Japan and you don't speak Japanese, you're not getting a lot of promo time. <laughs> Just not. So, uh, I was, I was pleasantly surprised with it. And what made me think it would might work is after about one or two outings, I saw that China and Eddie were having a lot of fun together. And more often than not, when talents are, are having fun and they buy into the creative concept and more importantly, they contribute to it. Uh, you know, you're, you got a shot, you got a shot there. And I, and we, we, we realized we had a shot there and it got over more than certainly I realized it might. There's so many fun moments, you know, during this era, we see for the first time, the low rider being driven to the ring, Eddie at the playboy mansion. Was it a challenge for Eddie? You know, we've heard a lot about like Rick rude. Didn't like the idea of having Bobby, the brain Heenan as a manager. And that to me just blows me away. Like what? He's one of the greatest talkers of all time, but from a rude perspective, yeah, but it takes away from me and I can talk and I don't need him. I get that. Now you've got China who's become one of the biggest stars in the entire company and Eddie's going to be paired with her, which I could see how he would be on the one hand excited about it's something creative. She is a big star, but at the same time, he probably feels like, wait a minute. Is she going to be the star and I'm standing behind her? Or do you have to navigate that with him at all? No, it was never talked about. It was not an issue. Uh, they became a unit. Yeah. They became a pair and, and, and being great workers that they, that sort of that Eddie was, uh, you know, he, he understood his role. Everybody's got a role Conrad in, yes. in the business. Everybody's got a role. Uh, you know, like right now, you know, people say, well, JR, why aren't you on dynamite? Well, because the decision was made to help build, we want to build rampage. We want rampage to grow. And I want to be one of the guys that helps rampage grow. I enjoyed doing that show. I, I don't have a problem with it at all. We're do, we got a lot of live rampages coming up on Friday nights on TNT. And I'm excited about it. Uh, I've, I've done one hour shows, lots of them, probably more than anybody else in the, working in the business right now. And I've done two hour shows, as you well know, but, uh, you know, it's just my role right now and I'm happy with it. And I think Eddie just saw the same thing. This is his role right now. And it can be used like a launch pad because once we discover that Eddie Guerrero has a personality, Conrad, he's got a personality and he wants to share it. We've got a, we've got a better opportunity for the return on our investment. And I, that's what we kept talking to Eddie about. Use this as the next place before you, before you get to the next place, because there are going to be another next place for you. So 
Eddie and China are going to split up in storyline after Guerrero accidentally pins her in a triple threat match to win the IC title. And then he's caught in the shower with two of Godfather's ladies. This <laughs> don't get me wrong is very much sports entertainment, but it's really one of the first times we get to see Eddie display this amazing charisma. Right. And this is probably what helps sell Vince on Eddie more than anything else. Right? Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of guys that were hanging that were Eddie's buddies, uh, were not shocked that we were discovering this amazing personality from this gifted worker who happened to be five, eight. Okay. Uh, and I, I, in my conversations with Eddie and you're talking about his brothers working for cowboy and, you know, just breaking the ice and, and, uh, him being impressed that I had a, a working knowledge of his father, things like that. Uh, it just, we just got to, we bonded in that respect. And that's why he's such a particularly, this is such a emotional show for me because you know, Eddie and I, we bonded. Right. And we went through some rough waters together, Conrad, I'm telling you. So, uh, in any event, it's, uh, I, I just thought that I just thought that, uh, his work with China opened everybody's eyes that he, we got a player here and we know we got a wrestling player. We know he can do it more than anybody we've got in a roster if called upon, but, uh, he was just, uh, he was just uh, so gifted and we hadn't, some of those gifts had never been unwrapped. So the radicals get back together and then Billy Gunn defeats uh, Eddie Guerrero for the IC title in November of 2000. We're going to see Eddie take some time off for a hamstring injury. And it feels like he's kind of floundering for a bit, but he does win the European title from test at WrestleMania 17. And Malenko said in WWE's Eddie documentary that he Benoit and Saturn could see a real problem with Eddie starting to develop around the spring of 2001. And they even said they pulled you aside at a TV taping to tell you about it without Eddie's knowledge. Right. And I'm sure that, you know, there is a contingent of our listeners who would say, oh, they're snitches, but this comes from a loving oh. place. You're trying <laughs> to help your friend. You're trying to get him yeah. help. Uh, you got some really good friends to be looking out for you here. What do you remember about this moment when they pulled you aside and said, Hey, well, they, when Eddie. they pulled me aside, we were in a, at a, at a venue in a, at a building where we were having a show that night. I don't remember where it was. Uh, and, uh, we need to talk to you. So my mind all went automatically to talent relations guy and they don't, they're not happy with their pay. <laughs> so, you know, I've been, I was like that dog has been hit in the head with a club. You know, when you see your owner, pick up that club, you kind of go someplace else or you start cowering down. And, uh, but they, uh, they told me what the, the, uh, reason was for our conversation at, the, right, at this point in time. And, uh, Eddie was very good about hiding things. Eddie was good about going off to a locker room and not being seen the rest of the day. And, uh, so we, we had, we had to have a chat and I didn't tell him that his friends smartened me up. That just causes another issue. Yes. And I didn't trust them. He didn't trust me. I'm going behind his back, all this other shit. So, uh, but I, those guys stood up for Eddie. They loved him. And they showed their love by reaching out and hopefully getting Eddie some help. Well, 
it doesn't happen right away because a few weeks after this, I guess AD showed up in Minneapolis in uh, no condition to perform. Meltzer had this to say. This is from the July 11th, 2001 issue of The Observer. Guerrero, 33, was sent home because of the belief he was in no condition to perform on Raw in Minneapolis. The descriptions of his condition were really bad. He was scheduled to wrestle Matt Hardy. Jeff had replaced him in the King of the, Qu- King of the Ring qualifier. He's basically gotten the same directive that Shawn Michaels got. There's no timetable at this point on his return and his angle involving Matt and Lita has been dropped. Guerrero has been somewhat injury plagued ever since coming back too soon after a very serious auto accident on new year's Eve of 1998. He's kept quiet about having a very bad back as it was said to have been in a real bad situation. So perhaps you can see Meltzer trying to read the tea leaves. This guy had a bad accident, came back too fast. Maybe has started to over-medicate in order to make the towns. And now his friends are worried about him, huh? Is that fair to say? Yep. Fair to say. I think that's an accurate ass- uh, assessment of it. The next week, Meltzer would say Guerrero will return if he successfully completes rehab. His problems are believed to involve the use of prescription painkillers, which is obviously something quite common in wrestling. Guerrero's problems may date back to his auto accident and coming back too quickly in WCW with four noted drug issues coming up publicly in the company in just the past three months. Jim Ross has said the company is still not thinking about doing comprehensive drug testing as it did from late 91 through early 96. In an interview with slam wrestling, Jr. said we do drug tests upon cause or we take appropriate action upon cause. We had a situation where in our view, Eddie Guerrero was unfit to work and we took action. He's in therapy. I don't know what else we could do with him. So let's talk about that. What do you remember about the whole, Hey, we love you. We care about you, but you got to go get treatment. I have one option. Yeah. I know I was wrong. I had two options. I can, I can get rid of you. Yeah. Which solves nothing. Yes. It takes a great talent. And buries him even deeper. It, and Eddie was so emotional. He was so, uh, he was sensitive. Uh, uh, and so he, you know, I, the two choices I had was to, okay, see ya, or let's get you help. Let's fix what's wrong. And, but in order to do that, you know, with the old cliche, it takes two to tango, but he was willing, he was willing. He wanted to get with better. He was tired of being sick. He was tired of being dependent on painkillers. Pain and, and I didn't, you know, I told him, I said, if we got to get a surgery or we've got to fix something physically, we'll do that. You're not going anywhere. You're still young, man. So let's get you healthy. That's the biggest issue we, I had was getting Eddie Guerrero healthy. Cause I knew if I got him healthy and he came back reinvigorated and refocused that we had a player, big time player, as good as we would have on the roster. Well. We, uh, we do need to at least talk about the drug testing stuff. When do you remember the opinion changing there? I mean, you say, well, Hey, society, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. Cotton. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, society has such an impact on change. Yes. And, uh, the more aware that the American public got in, in, uh, performance enhancing drugs and other sports, uh, you know, it's just become a bigger issue. If, if the, the radar of what's hot, what's not, and, uh, what you got to address now, or what you got to address next week, never changes. And that, that job was a never ending 
a scenario of solving problems. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was just, I had the, I had the joy of managing a great talent roster that I still believe that attitude era talent roster and subsequent next two or three years was as good as the business has ever seen. Cause you don't find rocks in Austin's, uh, that's the one they're, they're, they're Tom Brady. They're, they're once in a lifetime athletes. Right. So, uh, uh, my goal was to get Eddie healthy. I saw the hurt in his eyes. I saw the pain he had. I cried with him. I hugged him. He hugged me. I don't go too far down this rabbit hole because I'll get too emotional, quite frankly and honestly. Uh, but that was my goal, Conrad. Let's get Eddie healthy. So what do we got to do? And that's what we tried to. That's what we tried to do. Let's talk about uh, what's next for Eddie. Unfortunately, he's being set up to return to TV November two thousand one. But it doesn't happen. He gets a DUI. He has an auto accident at 3.20 in the morning on November 9th in Lando Lakes, Florida. Two days later, he gets the call. Johnny Ace is cutting him loose. Supposedly, he had a $250,000 a year downside guarantee. Meltzer speculating was a three-year contract. And that's a wrap. Meltzer would say he had flown into Cincinnati after his arrest and worked the Heartland Wrestling taping on November 11th in Jefferson, Indiana, talking earlier in the day with WWF management, at which point Vince McMahon had not yet made a final decision. He was given the news and flown home late the next night. It's the third termination in recent months due to drug or alcohol problems following on the heels of Brian James, who we know as road dog and Brian Lawler, who we knew as the grandmaster sex a. So boy, it feels like you guys have to set an example here. You've clearly drawn a line in the sand, but folks are dropping like flies. Is this when you started to think, man, maybe we do need to implement some testing or yeah. Okay. Yeah. We got burned enough. Yeah. And, and, and all the guys that, that I hired that there are three guys that you just mentioned, they all could work. Yes. They're all talented as hell. They could play the game. Yes. But they. Again, it's hard sometimes Conrad without testing to determine how deep a guy or a gal may be into the pill bottle, right? As a, just as a hypothetical, the, 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 the booze, the booze bottle, whatever, a bottle, a bad bottle. Uh, and so unless you have some benchmark, you don't know you're guessing. And this is not something you want to guess about as, uh, this story will end. So he had just started back on tour, uh, the previous weekend, he had been out for several months for drug rehabilitation. And according to police reports, he crashed into the gate at a relatively slow speed at the Arbor apartments where he lives. When the deputies approached him, they smelled alcohol on his breath, noticed he was slurring his speech. He failed two breath tests. He wasn't injured. There's only $500 in damage to the gate. Uh, and he's released after posting bail and he's 34 years old. And his friends have said that he was despondent at least as of late while he's at home because his wife, while he was in rehab separated from him and moved herself and their kids to Arizona. So of course we're talking about Vicky Guerrero. She's had enough as well. Yeah. Uh, this is not a good time in his life. And really it's a testament to Eddie because this could have gone the other way, Jim. Yeah. 
Could have not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and the and the over-under might have been, take the over. Yeah. He ain't going to make it. Right. Uh, Vicky did something very brave, very courageous. Take their two beautiful daughters and get about as, about as far away from Florida as she could. And, and, and she knew Eddie better than anybody. And I'm just saying to you that, uh, I think she did what she thought was right. I can't, I can't disagree with her. Uh, maybe that was the wake up call that Eddie needed. I don't know, but, uh, she had, she made the only call with two little girls that she believed that was, was the right thing to do at that time. It was heartbreaking for everybody involved. It's, uh, it's tough, man. He's publicly admitted to being manic depressive. He, uh, unfortunately developed a reputation for being addicted to pain pills, Vicodin in particular, and that all came from a, an auto accident that we talked about in WCW. That's according to the observer. Did you feel like with the benefit of hindsight, maybe, or maybe even, you knew at the time me releasing him right now, it's not necessarily just wink, wink to protect the company, but we might be saving this young man's life. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's no, it's no simpler than that. Conrad. Yeah. That's exactly what my goal was. I said it here several times. My goal was to save Eddie's life and to get Eddie healthy. We knew what we had when he got healthy. We right. knew what we would have. You know, everybody gets it, but it's going to be somewhere along the way. He's got to participate. You got to contribute and you got to try and you got to want to be clean and sober. And of course the jury was out. We're not sure he can do that right now. Let's talk about what he does uh, for the next few months. He wrestles for ring of honor. He wrestles for Ian Rotten's IWA mid South world wrestling all-stars over in Australia, even some shots in new Japan. Did you have some sort of, a a path for him to return or the marching orders? Hey, Eddie, we'd like to see you do this for that long. And then we can talk about coming back or do you give him some sort of path to work his way back? Yeah. Clean and sober. Yeah. Through testing. And, uh, that was it. So it's not, it's not complicated. Right. Uh, but we had to, again, we had, we didn't have a particular benchmark based on our policy at that point in time. Gotcha. I'm glad that we changed the policy. You got to have a benchmark. Where are you? And now, you know, uh, it, I, I think any wrestling company that assigns a talent should strongly consider, uh, pre pre-contract signing drug tests. And maybe they all do. I don't know this. I'm, I'm out of that loop, man. Uh, I just said, my, you, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just, you just got to hope that you can salvage this guy. And luckily enough, it wasn't over. Are you having, are you touching base with him every so often? Is he calling you? What does that look like? Do y'all keep in touch? Yeah, we, it was, it was sporadic, but I wasn't going to lose touch. Right. I didn't want him to think, okay, we got a drug addled guy. We're washing our hands. This deal. We're done. We're that's it. We're done. We knew I never did this. Yeah. Never. And, uh, on him anyway. So, uh, so I knew how badly he wanted to be clean and sober. But boy, it was sure challenging for him. He, he had these, and, and what you mentioned and that he, he had in his book, I think of what you said, uh, the, his, his anxiety, yeah. his depression, you know, there, there, there were medicines that he could take 
to address those issues, but you got to know that there are issues of this specific uh, uh, regard before you can he can get the right help and the right meds and the right everything. So it was, uh, boy, these these brings back so many stories, so many memories, nighttime conversations, early morning conversations. What are you talking about late at night with Eddie? Uh, positive motivation for me, you know, words of encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. We still love you and we want you to be healthy. And if you get healthy, we got, we we got, we got things for you to do. And he just need to have a, he need to know that the door had not been slammed and locked. Keep the door cracked. So the guy's got some hope. And maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. I don't know. That's, that was a choice that I, I thought was the right way to go. And, and Vince, uh, luckily enough, in this respect, agreed with me. Yeah. Clearly Vince saw that this guy could be more than even what he was, or, or he wouldn't have continued to get these opportunities. He does eventually get the opportunity to come back. I'm curious before he comes back, do you guys fly him in to meet with Vince and everybody look each other in the eye and talk about what we're going to do differently? Or is that not necessary? No, no, we did. We, we. Checks and balances put in place and your responsibility is this. And there's no more gray area. There's no, what, what, what more can we talk about? What more can we do? It's up to you, Eddie, to get off this shit Yeah. and get you healthy. And once we get you healthy, man, the sky's the limit. So he jumps at the chance to come back April 1st, 2002. He's back on raw. He immediately wins the intercontinental title from Rob Van Dam a few weeks later at backlash and he's back in the game, man. And we covered a lot of Eddie's O2 comeback a few months back here on grilling Jr. So check that out in the archives, but what a cool story to see him back up and running. Uh, he moves over to SmackDown in the summer of O2. And I think you only called one or two more matches of Eddie's career because of that. You guys just wound up on separate shows. Right. But obviously you're still working closely with him. Um, but man, to think about all those great matches, it would have been cool to see you be yeah. the voice of more of those. If, if given yeah, the opportunity, it would, it would have sorry, Connie. Yeah, it would have been great. It'd have been a dream come true because, uh, it's like seeing your kid graduate, you know, that's one of those days can't re- can't re- have, uh, you, you can't repeat them sometimes, but yeah, I, uh, I would like, I'd like to be in the SmackDown chair on that night or him just be on raw. Yeah. But he was so he was SmackDown was a big priority. I mentioned earlier that uh, rampage is a high priority right now within the confines of AEW. Yes. We want to make this Friday night show good and uh, get a, build a loyal audience. Uh, and I think we're going to do that. I really do. I, I enjoy the opportunity. You know, I worked the other day. I did the show with, uh, Excalibur and, and Shivani and I loved it. Just loved it. We had so much fun. And it, and when he, when he cut your roster of announcers down to three, everything becomes more manageable. Yeah. It's, it's, you're not driving in so much traffic. So that's, that was the goal there. And I bring that up because it's part and parcel to what SmackDown was. And, and Vince wanted to load up SmackDown, hence, uh, the rock and rock was on SmackDown. At, you know, that was his show. Right. And so all of a sudden, uh, uh, SmackDown became a higher priority 
simply because of the, the array of great talent that was performing on it. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I think Eddie's presence on SmackDown was specific. Yeah. He had a, a, a amazing ability to connect with his Hispanic audience, not just Hispanic audience, but with everybody, but especially the, his, his, his Hispanic fan, fan base. Uh, so I, I, uh, he was, he was again, when, and when that happened and it was explained to him, he took great pride in knowing that he was placed on that show for a reason, right? You're, you're important and you can help us build this brand. And, and anytime you get an old, a person in wrestling, one of the great things that we have the opportunity to do occasionally in our career is help build a brand. Yes. I mentioned, I'm going to help build a, a rampage as best I possibly can with every ounce of my being. And, and Eddie had that same approach with, uh, with, uh, SmackDown. He took an emotional, he made an emotional investment in the show. And I think it showed immensely. He was one of the most, if anybody was more entertaining on SmackDown, it might be the rock. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big shadow to stand in, but Eddie had no intimidation of that deal. Connie, he was, he was up for the challenge. So Eddie and his nephew Chavo are going to form Los Guerrero's tag team around this time. What'd you think of the team here? I mean, this is uh, fun stuff and certainly great for Chavo as well. It was great for Chavo. It was great for the tag team division. My only issue was, is that, uh, I'm not so sure that the world was ready for another tag team. Yeah. It wasn't a, wasn't a tag team territory, shall we say? So, uh, but I, they never had a bad match. Then of course the injury bug rears its ugly head once again, like everybody snake bit in the equation. Well, they win the SmackDown version of the tag team titles at survivor series. Oh, two from Madison square garden. And Eddie spends most of his time here as a tag team wrestler until the summer, uh, with Chavo and then later to Jerry after Chavo tore his triceps, but somewhere around here, we start to say, Hey, wait a minute. Let's pull this guy out of tags. Maybe it's time to right. strap the rocket to him. That was my thought. We know that Chavo's eventually going to turn on Eddie at early Oh four and then lose to Eddie at the Royal rumble. We know Eddie's going to win a miniature Royal rumble on SmackDown to get a title shot, but just talk about how that, how did the tide turn? Did he have to come back in and prove himself to Vince? Essentially. Yeah. Okay. Essentially Conrad, it wasn't a free pass over all is forgotten. All is forgiven, but all is not forgotten. If that makes any sense to you. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I, I, we, we, we were finally being able to unlock that, that, that combination to this heart and soul of Eddie Guerrero and Eddie Guerrero realizing that the opportunity existed in real time, uh, to be the, the, the top guy in the territory, the WWE champion was, uh, uh, I just thought an amazing development, amazing development. He was given yet another chance with the most prized possession that Vince had. Yeah. The WWE title. So it happens. I can't believe it happens. Brock Lesnar goes down at no way out in San Francisco. Yep. This is a big time match. One of the most famous Eddie Guerrero, certainly the most important match in Eddie Guerrero's history. There's been other big moments, many others, but man, winning the WWE title after being released, not too terribly long before overcoming all of that, 
this is one of the great success stories in wrestling. I mean, this is a guy who bet on himself, Ever. pulled the yep. nose up. I mean, just a phenomenal story, but maybe the most unlikeliest story. You take a look at the type of size and performer that Vince really <laughs> always went with, and they look more like Brock Lesnar. And now here's the guy we're actually calling the next big thing, but he's no longer the next big thing. He's the current big thing. He's your world champ and Eddie's going to beat him. Yeah. It, it, it's like a movie. Is it not Jim? Oh, it is. And it's, uh, it's so, uh, it may be to some fans in the day that weren't familiar, aren't familiar with Eddie's work. Uh, it may sound absurd, but I, as I, I think I mentioned earlier, Eddie wrestled bigger than he was. Yes. And I think nothing proves that any better than what he did with uh, Brock Lesnar. And the fact that Brock Lesnar had so much respect for Eddie and his abilities that Brock had no issues that I'm aware of to this very day of uh, doing the honors in the cow palace, I believe, because I think Michael Cole called that match. I think it was a SmackDown match. It was fantastic. Uh, yeah, that's right? right. Yeah. And I was there, I was there. I was standing down the, in the shadows wishing I was calling it like a little, little ego guy. Uh, but I do wish I'd have called it. I mean, it's, it's it was personal to me. Right. But that's not how the, that's not how the cookie crumbled in that respect. So, uh, but he had great, he had a great series of matches with JBL. JBL six, six. Yeah. Uh, who else? Was another, he, he had other big, uh, big wins over much bigger guys all because he understood the concept of wrestling and how to tell a story around the same time. The company put out a documentary. Cheating death, stealing life, the Eddie Guerrero story. Uh, and we know he's going to have, you know, the book as well, but we're really doubling down on Eric's story or Eddie's story. Was Eddie comfortable telling the whole story warts and all about his seemed to be struggles with addiction? Yeah. Okay. He seemed to be Conrad. He, he, I think he was, I think he looked at it as something that could be perceived as cathartic and, uh, uh, that's my take on it. He never had, I'm not aware of any issues that he had with it. Uh, and I'm sure if I, if he had serious issues, I'd have heard about them. Right. It's such a great story. Um, but behind the scenes, I want to talk about how he's dealing with the stress and pressure of being the top guy. Uh, Bruce has talked about on his podcast that he felt like Eddie maybe put too much pressure on himself because once upon a time, I the top guy was you know, whoever held the belt was, right. was to quote unquote, get all the credit or all the blame. If business is great, it's all this guy's fault. He drew the house. If business is bad, it's all this guy's fault. He's the shits. Uh, and you don't want after working your whole career to get this spot and this opportunity, you don't want to let it slip through your fingers. And allegedly in those days, Vince would be on the phone with his champion every day. I know Bruce used to talk to Eddie on the regular. You did as well. How did he deal with the stress and pressure of being the guy? Challenging. It's a lot of responsibility to go on last, especially on a pay-per-view where they've seen everything seemingly, uh, it's hard and, and responsibilities are hard. Uh, you know, staying out of trouble for some people hard. So, uh, I think he put a lot undue pressure on himself. If Eddie had just relied on his instincts and his natural ability to work a match, perform at a high level, never been an issue, but this is Eddie was not wound that way. He was wound tighter than a hatch, you know, a fiddle string. 
So, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it any better. He just, he mentally was putting so much pressure on himself that he was making himself miserable by being the WWE champion. What a moment it was WrestleMania 20. He's going to defeat Kurt angle. Uh, it's a fantastic match and there's a, a closing moment of the show. One of the more memorable moments of this era, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit hugging in the center of the ring. One is the champ of SmackDown. One is the champ of Monday night raw. The confetti comes down. It was a storybook ending for these two guys. Of course, that's not the end of their story, but nobody would have ever imagined that they would be in that spot. Would you agree? Standing in in the ring in Madison square garden. Yeah. At WrestleMania 20. Are you kidding? No. You know, it's a good question. Connor. I've been an asshole. I'm good at that. Uh, no, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Right. And that, and I didn't know they were going to have a hug. So to me, it hit me, especially emotional, emotionally, emotionally hard. I'm trying to say, and I'm not a wordsmith. I'm a wrestling announcer. <laughs> uh, no, it was, that was one of the golden moments. I, 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 you know, Connie, you know, I'm writing this third book Yep. with Paul O'Brien and I, and we're going over, we're trying to come up with some of, uh, what the fans perceive to be JR's best calls. Yep. And, uh, what I, I had in the meeting this week, I said, uh, I want the fans to be involved in this book more than they have in the past. So let's, let's create a v, a venue for them, a path. So what I'm going to ask here on this show for the first time is, uh, you, you can use Twitter at JRSBBQ. I'm sure Conrad's crew will throw something out there to encourage you to participate, but I'd like to know the fans opinion of the calls that, that I made or made with Lawler or made with Heyman or whomever it may be. Uh, and, and, uh, and text them or, uh, tweet them to me because they may make the book. And I think that'd be pretty cool. And cause that way I also get a feel for what the fans are, have, have memorialized. Yes. And that's what we want to write about. The behind the scenes of this call is blank, but what is that call? Right. So you guys out there, uh, listening and you got an idea or you want to share it with your buddies, uh, all the help is appreciated and necessary by the way. So, uh, I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but Eddie, Eddie's Eddie's book, I thought was, it was pretty compelling and I'm glad that he was open and honest enough, comfortable with himself. He started getting more comfortable with himself, Conrad, in those later years. The, uh, the pressure after WrestleMania, I mean, I'm sure going into WrestleMania is huge, but it almost feels like we've heard for years and years that Vince would maybe back in the day, look from WrestleMania to WrestleMania. So now it's not necessarily, what have you done, but what will you do for me next? Yeah. And, and what he's going to be doing next is he's going to be in a feud with John Bradshaw Layfield the next few months. This is when we're essentially hitting the reset button on Justin Hawk, Bradshaw and one half of the APA. And now he's this, uh, arrogant, almost J.R. Ewing type character, Dallas, hateable villain, heel, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Did but, a good job. That was a perfect role for JBL. Yes. Fantastic I, casting. Yeah. I'm not knocking him because this is OU Texas week. Uh, but he was easy to dislike. He was a great villain and he, he reinvented himself. 
and he, he moved up from being a mid card tag team guy to the most influential heel at that time in WWE and made a great champion because everybody wanted to see him get his ass whipped. And that's the trait you're looking for, for a heel. Well, what's great is this judgment day. Oh, four match in may of Oh, four, man, this is one of the bloodiest battles in the history of not just WWE, but all of professional wrestling. Guerrero's going to cut himself maybe way too deep. And allegedly I think hits an artery. He winds up going into shock and passing out. He's rushed to the hospital. This is an unbelievable performance. I know that, you know, wrestling, a lot of people are debating these days, whether or not blood has a place in it. Well, it was everywhere in may of Oh four. It showed you the lengths that Eddie was willing to go to, to tell a story, to get a match over, to be in the main event, to be the world champ. What were you thinking, watching that back and seeing this is a lot of blood too much. Yeah. Too much blood. Uh, and I'm not knocking those guys. They had a great effort. They told a hell of a story. It was compelling. It was exciting. But I thought at the end of the day and hindsight being 2020, that it was a little too much. It, it became, I don't want to say it became distracting, but it kind of took the, my eye off the prize a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what we're doing next, because before you know it, Eddie's going to lose the title to JBL. The very next month on pay-per-view, was it too soon? Did Eddie have more legs in him as a champ? Was he upset that the belt's coming off? Was it just try, time to try something new? Talk me through how he handled that. And why I you think, think Vince's philosophy, Conrad was the, to say that the undersized baby face is more valuable to us chasing the title that he once held than he is being chased, uh, was kind of the psychology of it. Now. It, there's a lot of ways to look at it. There are a lot of right ways to look at it, but I think, uh, I think Eddie being the challenger was not a bad thing. It kept him in the title picture. It kept him in good paydays. It kept him in house show bookings, a lot of wins out of that, that equation. So, uh, but, I, but JBL, you know, I, it's hard to say anything bad because he, he made a hell of a champion, right? He did a good job when you become the most hated man in a company. Uh, and your personality is driving it, uh, because, you know, JBL looks so natural in, uh, his role that he, he created, he perfected that, uh, you could, it was uh, seamless. You couldn't see through it. And so he was, again, I told this to Paul Heyman back in the late eighties, God damn, you're easy to dislike. Right. And, and which was meant, and he knows it to this very day as a, as a supreme compliment. Because you don't want to like you don't want to, your heels don't have, need to have any too many redeeming social qualities other than being badasses or great athletes. It's uh it's unfortunate that we don't get to see him flirt with more world title opportunities, but boy, he's got the most maybe the most sports entertainment story of all coming up next. In 05, Eddie and Rey Mysterio start a feud that people are still talking about. Dominic is allegedly actually Eddie's son. And of course this was famously born out of, uh, the time where Eddie was honest about writing in his book that once upon a time, he and Vicky were separated and what if, and boy, in these crazy wrestling stories, what if one of your best friends 
Sons was actually your own. They have a ladder match at SummerSlam with custody of Dominic at stake. Vicky Guerrero was introduced into the storyline really for the first time here. I know that this is uh, maybe not something that the cowboy would have done, or maybe so. Personal <laughs> issues draw money. That's what they like to say down in he Memphis. He could put an ass over 18 inches. He'd be all for it. <laughs> what do you think of this creatively? We're going to involve, you know, families like this. Well, I had mixed, mixed emotions, uh, mixed. I thought it might become too soap opera ish for my personal taste, but the great thing about it was the payoff The payoff is that ladder match. My God in heaven, Eddie Guerrero and Ray Mysterio in a ladder match. How do you beat that? Yeah. Yeah. How, where are you going to see that again? Right. And for, and, and, a, and, a, and a, what's the reason for that, this match? Well, it had a great reason. It had a wonderful stipulation. Everybody could understand. And it let two of the greatest workers in the world in Eddie Guerrero and Ray Mysterio, uh, go out there and do their thing. I don't know. I don't have any idea who the agent was for that match. No, no clue. I'm sure somebody might know. Uh, but I, I, my sense is they let Eddie and Ray, uh, write the music and, and, uh, and let them roll. They knew what they could do. They knew what they wanted to do. And, uh, it was just a phenomenal ladder match. As good a ladder match as I can remember seeing. It's a fantastic match, especially with the benefit of hindsight, knowing that Dominic's in the company now and him and Ray are still doing their thing. And yeah, boy, as, as time went on, maybe the biggest blessing of this whole rather silly angle is Vicky Guerrero. You know, I don't yeah. think anybody would have guessed she would have been such a phenomenal character, but this is how she's introduced and. Man, she became a Hall of Famer in her own right, and it all happened yeah. right here. Another star, another star was born. Conrad, uh, Vicky had again. We didn't know that Vicky had the acting chops, right? The showbiz chops that she had. How how would we know? And so uh, we, we we realized she did, and she became a, a beloved character uh, in 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 WWE, just as she's a beloved character right now in AEW. I'm so glad that we have her in our company because Vicky's mature. She's remarried. She's happy. She's healthy. And she gives a lot of counsel to the ladies of AEW. And I really respect her for that because, you know, it's tough. It's tough. Uh, uh, counseling people that don't understand the business perhaps as they will eventually. She's just a terrific, uh, in our company. And, uh, I, I'm, I love her for that. So she's unselfish. She's just like Eddie was in the sense of being unselfish. Eddie's selfishness was to himself and staying and getting high, eating those Vicodins like they're goddamn M&Ms. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, the, the, the unfortunate circumstance of learning that we've lost Eddie at yeah. only 38 years old. We talked earlier about Minneapolis. Well, unfortunately his life ends there as well. November 13th, he's found passed away in his hotel room. I think as the story goes, his uh, nephew Chavo discovers him. You're not on the road at the time. I don't think you're suffering from or recovering from your colon surgery. Yeah. How, do, how do you hear about Eddie Guerrero? This guy you spent so much time with, man, we lose him brushing his teeth. I'm not so sure that Bruce didn't break that news to me. You know, uh, Bruce and I are working together and, and gosh, we, you look back at when we started working together, it was 30 years. 
now in today's time. Uh, but I think maybe Bruce told me I was, I was, uh, that surgery was rough and, uh, and, but it wasn't nearly as rough as getting that news. I'll go through another surgery. If I didn't have to hear that, it was just heartbreaking. We were ready. We were it, 38 years old, Conrad, my God, you know, you and I got old clothes, 38 years old, probably. Yeah. I just, it just, it was heartbreaking. There's no other way to describe it. You just wonder why things end the way they end sometimes. And, and sometimes there are no answers and that's, what's tough. You don't know the answer. Uh, but I think, uh, I think it was a, it's, it's, if I remember correctly, he, you know, I think that's another thing that helped change things there at WWE is guys getting full physicals, blood work, and all these things, just make sure their heart's good. So through some of these tragedies and, and God knows they were tragedies, uh, some good came out of it because the testing and, you know, Eddie looked great. He was feeling good. No problems that I'm aware of. Uh, and as I said, if they were, I would have heard about them. So it's just, uh, you know, it caught up with it. And I think wrestlers today need to take more care of their health and don't think they're bulletproof and invincible. Uh, that's my take on that deal. Uh, every company should have a process in, pl in place. And I, I think the big ones do to make sure they monitor the health of their talents. There's nothing more important in any wrestling company. There's two words, talent and television. I learned that from every boss I've ever worked for. It's all about talent and television. Let's, um, let's talk about the Eddie tribute show. What'd you think of it? Don't remember anything specific about, uh, just the idea of doing tribute shows to wrestlers. Are you for it? I mean, I, I'm not against it. Yeah. It's, they're done in a classy way. They're not done to shoot an angle, right? If they're done to honor the memory and the contributions of the individual that's, uh, that's passed away, uh, no issues here with me. Uh, so, uh, and it certainly if anybody deserved it, uh, Eddie did. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just so sad, so sad. That, and I want to be more involved in the, that whole process, but I was healing. I had 13 inches of my int intestines taken out. Right. You know, this wasn't no Mickey mouse, uh, you know, arthroscopic toe surgery. <laughs> it's a serious stuff. And I thought I was in my, in my little wife, Jan and I, I, I heard her tell somebody, she said, I think he's going to die. And man, that sobered my ass up, but it was a, it was a D it was just my DNA. It was just what it was, but man, I really missed, uh, I didn't get to go to the funeral. It was tough. Yeah. I have in my notes here that you were unable to attend the funeral. Of course, you're still recovering from surgery. So you have, I think. Dr. Tom read something on your behalf. Is that right? Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. I, I was reading this here again. I remember writing some stuff and communicating. What did I say? Well, Meltzer had this recap. Ross mentioned that in the 33 years he's been in the business, Guerrero was one of the 10 best performers he'd ever seen. That moment was not without its notable implications. Ross asked Pritchard who the WWE had fired to read his thoughts instead of one of the McMahons or Lauren Nidus. Vince talked about his passion and in the end said Guerrero was a master craftsman. It's uh 
it's just hard to imagine, man, going to a funeral for a fellow who's just 38 years old, who had so much in front of him. I know you weren't there, but it's gotta be one of the, the toughest, saddest moment, man. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there. I could travel. So uh, that's how that went down. I appreciate Tom Pritchard, uh, stepping up and, uh, reading that statement. Cause it meant a lot to me to be represented in some shape, form or fashion. Cause everybody that knows me knows if I had been healthy, I would have been there front and center. Let's talk about, uh, the drug policy. You know, it's probably, or not just the drug policy, but the testing policy, you know, the, the whole wellness policy that the WWE would develop that we know today, it really started to become fast-tracked and evolve in a very quick manner on the heels of Eddie's death. So while Eddie may have had some sort of a heart issue that, that we didn't know about at the time, moving forward, performers who work for the WWE had an opportunity to have a heads up on that in large part because of Eddie's passing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it worked. It's just another major slap in the face. Wake up call. We, something has to be done. And again, if you go back and look at that timeline in society in general, it wasn't just a, uh, a wrestling issue. This was a, you know, access to drugs, access to dirty doctors, uh, all those things, uh, just became more prominent. But it was just time. It was just time. And a lot of the older talents were very uncomfortable with it because they knew they were users. But they, in their own minds, I had everything under control. And really and truly, they didn't. It's, uh, it's tough to think about. What do you think? What do you think Eddie's legacy will, will be? I mean, will it be testing? Will it be the matches that he had with Rey Mysterio winning the title? the mamacita stuff, the fam- the famous Dominic storyline. What's his legacy going to be? I prefer to think of it, Eddie's legacy that Eddie Guerrero became the biggest undersized star in the history of wrestling. Yeah. We're talking five, eight Conrad five, eight. And he, and, and if you go back and the fans go back and, uh, YouTube, the, uh, Lesnar, Eddie match from the cow palace, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, he had so many memorable outings with guys and look, well, I guess you say, well, who would, who did Eddie wrestle that he wasn't big, uh, smaller than, well, not many. I don't, I can't think of anybody significant for me off the top of my head. Uh, but I, he'll always be to me. I will prefer to remember him as the great talent that he was and that he could make a, he could have great matches with virtually anybody. I know that's almost cliche. Oh, he could have a, he could have a great match with a broomstick. I used to hear that about Dory Jr. He could uh, have a he could have a great match with a broomstick. I don't know if Eddie could or anybody could have a great match with a broomstick, but nonetheless, uh, I just look at, back at Eddie's body of work being uh, extraordinary, and that's what I prefer to remember him as. Not our, not our sessions in a in a in a, in a closed locker room where we were talking about, and he was reading his favorite Bible passages and things of that nature to give him some relief. Uh, I don't think I've ever told that story before. I got, that'd be another one I put in my book. <laughs> Do you still think Eddie top 10 all time in your opinion? I mean, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt, Connie, without a doubt. He, he, uh, Eddie Guerrero would be a main event level talent 
in any generation that I have personally worked in. And that started in 1974. There's not a generation that went, went, that I walked through, earned a check from, earned a living from, that Eddie Guerrero would not have been a star. Eddie Guerrero's biggest issue was Eddie Guerrero and the damn pills. Vicodin is our enemy. And he, it ate him up. And then again, uh, you know, if the right process had been put in place, or have been put in place. Hindsight's always going to be 2020. You know, uh, this would never have happened. Eddie's is, health issues would have been detected. He'd have got treatment. He'd have got the right medication, the right, right doctors, everything. If we had known, if we had known. And again, I mentioned this earlier. So important to remember. And until there's processes in place, it's hard to measure someone's addiction. And uh, that's kind of where I see this thing here with Eddie. If we had known the seriousness of his health and the condition that he was in, uh, things would have ended a lot differently. Let's uh, let's get your opinion on the storylines that followed. When Eddie passed away, they started to do some storylines about Eddie posthumously, and that's been criticized. I understand it using it as a motivation for Ray to win the world title and win the Royal rumble and overcome the obstacles. I can get behind that. But when you have the heels come out and say, and again, they were scripted to say this Eddie's in hell. I don't know about that, man. What's I know about it. Shits. Yeah. As my granny would say, it's even worse. It's the drizzling shits. Yeah. Uh, I didn't like that. And I thought it was like creativity. There's a lot of ways you could use, uh, this whole matter, make it about Ray and not about Eddie. Yeah. Uh, but that's not how it went down. So I didn't, I wasn't comfortable with that personally. Talk to me about what you think Eddie would be doing today. If he was still here, I'm sure he'd be hanging around the wrestling business somewhere. Oh yeah. Yeah. What do you think he would think of today's business and where do you think he would fit in? (laughs) It's hard for me to think for Eddie, but I think. Uh, the answer, the question, he'd definitely be in the wrestling business. Yeah. Uh, I can see him being a great agent producer, whatever. Uh, I can see him being an amazing asset in a training environment. There's just so many things that he could do. Uh, and let's also remember that he was, he would be so influential to these young talents because he's Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero pulled me aside at television and gave me these pointers. They really helped me. And they believed him and they tried to execute him because of, of the Eddie's endor- endorsement. Right. Quite frankly. So I think he'd still be in the business. And, and, and he could do a variety of roles. We got lots of questions about Eddie. There's no way we'll get to them all. Uh, Adam Lesson wants to know in JR's opinion, what was one thing that made Eddie stand out the most? Uh, passion. Yeah. Passion. He had it, passion, uncontrollable at times, but he had amazing passion. And that's something you can't teach. You can't coach it. He, you know, that's, you just can't. So I, I, I think Eddie's passion is what will always stick with me. Uh, Instagram, a wrestling historian wants to know in an alternate timeline, how would you have booked Eddie Guerrero versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 22? That is the match that supposedly Shawn Michaels wanted. And, uh, 
it's been described by Bruce Pritchard that he often saw Eddie Guerrero as a Hispanic Shawn Michaels. What a match that would have been. What would you have done had it actually happened? <laughs> what would mean? Well, as a finish? Yeah. I mean, do you think in oh. this is something where Eddie's a heel, Sean's a baby face, vice versa? You know, what, what would have been the ideal circumstance to frame up these guys on the biggest stage of all? Well, hard to say. Probably I'd go with Sean at that time. Yeah. Uh, you know, at that time, you know, uh, and there's ways to look at that skin, that cat where, uh, Sean would do the honors and, and work to an amazing return. You can't have a bad equation matching Eddie Guerrero with Sean Michaels. The least of my worries is the finish and then finding out the dirt behind the finish. It's just not right. Connie, uh, no, I, that'd be a great problem to have. Yeah. What a problem. Hey, what if you, what if you want to, what if you want an hour draw? Yeah. I'm just saying people are people rolling their eyes now. Oh, geez. Hey, Eddie Guerrero and Shawn Michaels are two guys that if you were worried about keeping your attention for an hour, don't worry about that. You're going to be fine. Talk to me about, uh, Lindsay's question here, knowing how close you were with China, how much did she love working with Eddie? Was she hesitant at first? How did they both feel about the storyline and it ending? Well, you know, over the years I got, I developed a real strong relationship with Joni. Uh, and a lot of it was out of necessity, personal issues, you know, uh, all these things that, uh, affected her mindset. Uh, but she really enjoyed working with Eddie because she trusted him. And Joni, uh, learned a lot about wrestling from courts, triple H, but she learned a lot about her craft from Eddie Guerrero. Because Eddie stopped what he was doing to help make sure she was up to speed so that they both as a unit would look better. Right. And, uh, so I, I think that I always thought that they just got along great. They were uh, backstage. They'd laugh. They, they were kidding. They were, they, they, they get their script or whatever the ideas, the bullet points and read it and start laughing and enjoying it and looking forward to executing it. So I think Joni was blessed to be, a, uh, in Eddie's life and vice versa, quite frankly. Matthew Prong wants to know, did you ever talk to Benoit about Eddie's death? Probably. I don't want to sound like this is a, a just a throwaway. Probably in passing. I got you. Uh, I mean, we both loved Eddie and I mean, Benoit was, that was, that just, that helped destroy Chris Benoit. Yeah. Eddie girl was passing. So, uh, but in, in passing, I would say Conrad, to be honest with you, we didn't have a stop. We didn't have a big meeting or let's go to dinner or whatever. Benoit just wasn't that kind of guy. And he knew my sentiments and I knew his, and that was enough. One last question. Francis Reyes wants to know when you had to release Eddie the first time, was that the hardest person you ever had to fire? And if not, who was, no, it probably was because I saw greatness. Yeah. I saw, uh, one of the greatest pro wrestlers in the world that we're about to lose. If we don't get our arms around his problem, but in order for us to get our arms around his problem, he's got to cooperate with us. He's got to allow us to hug him. And, uh, that's what we kept waiting on. So yeah, that, that was probably the toughest because I had such an emotional investment in him and, uh, there are others. There's going to be plenty of others. If I stopped and thought about who I, how do you, 
how do you have find any joy in firing anybody? No, you can't. Can't. No. That's a morbid way of living your life. If so, yeah. So uh, anyhow, uh, I I think that was the hardest one, especially on today. Today it's the hard, it's really the hardest one because we we've, we've gone back so much and talked about these memories. I hope the fans enjoy get a little peek behind the scenes of the man that Eddie Guerrero was, and uh, he was a absolutely off the page. I hope that his timeline and what people see on social media and shows like this will reacquaint him to the wrestling fan because he's worth researching. Oh yeah. Well, I loved it. This was a fun story. We got to, uh, brag a little bit about Eddie Guerrero. We hope that you guys dug it as much as we did. And we'll be back next week, man. Going to have a big time letting you guys have the keys to the show. Check it out. Ask Jr. anything right here on grilling Jr. With the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Thanks, Connie. Thanks, everybody. And beat Texas. Roll Tide. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.